Welcome back to Fly on the Wall. And I'm Dr. Jerry Crete from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm here with... I'm Dr. Peter Malinowski from Indianapolis, Indiana. We are your hosts, and we have assembled an august body of Catholic clinicians that are joining us today. Um, and uh, we're excited to have them. And so we'll have them introduce themselves. We'll start over here. Dr. Andrew Sodergren with Rua Wood Psychological Services in Cincinnati. Dr. Matt McCall. I'm out in Denver. I work at Catholic Charities. Uh, Dr. Mark Glafke of Glafke Psychological Services in Lafayette, Indiana. Dr. Eric Adan <clears throat> of Integritas in Indianapolis, Indiana. Dr. Peter Martin of Catholic Social Services in Lincoln, Nebraska. Dr. John Cadwalder of Central Psychological Services in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we're actually following up from our last one when we were discussing dis different issues of authority, boundary crossings, and various struggles for priests, for bishops uh, within the church. And we were just wrapping up, or we were running out of time, uh, when we got to the point where Dr. Sodergren mentioned, how about a solution? So, yeah. Well, we had some solutions also coming from Dr. Martin uh, <clears throat> near the end as well. So these guys have all agreed to fly back in to take their spots again <laughs> and be able to, to present one more time. So really grateful to all of you. I'm very grateful to all of you, and I'm grateful to our audience that makes this all possible. And yeah, we're actually coming in with the solutions, what we think would help in these situations. So maybe we can just kind of briefly recap the problem, right? right for those of us that may not have been at the last, you know, viewed the last one. Um, what, what were sort of the main themes that we brought up in terms of the problems that we were addressing in that last session? Well, the very last thing we were talking about was that little case study, Correct. right, of the good priest who um, gets ordained and gets overwhelmed with administrative tasks and gets disillusioned to some extent, and then he has a, a boundary violation with a parishioner who themselves is struggling in a bad marriage and this kind of thing. And, and so when a boundary violation happens, I think, Dr. Sodergren, you were asking what What's the church's responsibility? What should right. the church do? Right, right. Yeah, because this whole issue of, of a boundary violation with an adult, is, it's not handled uniformly, and there's a lot of debate around what should the church's response be, and I thought that would be a great thing for us to, to talk about. Because in my opinion, I, I think that, that in many times um, the church doesn't respond adequately um, either to the priest or, or to the, the, the victim, in this case a woman, um, and so I thought it would be good to open that up and see what, what everyone's ideas are about how the church should respond to a scenario like that. Seems to me the era of the cover-up uh, has passed. I, with, I, there are some cases where you do need to be discreet, but to, to try to use euphemisms or, or keep everything hush-hush, I don't, I don't know how well that's going to work um, because the things get out. Uh, the... the the parish does need to know, like, what happened? Why did Father so-and-so get pulled away all of a sudden? Right. Obviously not everything. You do want to preserve some privacy for the priest, but I think there is some prudence in, in just being open about what's going on. I, I, would, I find that extremely rare. Yeah, I think it, I don't know if it happens. So. Yeah, and, and there's prudence for the, for the woman in that case and her husband sure. and her children yeah. um, in, in that particular type of case. But I'm not sure that the church does is open with those yeah. kind of things. Priests just go away for a while. Right, right, right. right. Is that, that a good idea, though? 
Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, which part of it? I mean, the priest going away, or, or the parish not being told? Just uh, everything hush hush. Uh, yeah, you know, no, I, the, the parish needs to know something, and obviously, you have to exercise prudence around yeah. how much detail Confident you disclose. But, but the first, uh, the most important thing there is not, um, you know, maintaining an image. Right. Mm-hmm. That is that is the the last consideration. Mm-hmm. The parish needs mm-hmm. to know. What happened uh, if there's going to be any kind of trust in the hierarchy? Uh, I just I think that's that's important. We have to be able to, you know, to a certain degree, call a spade a spade. When someone makes a mistake, a mistake was happened. Here's how we're responding to it. Um, Doesn't right. necessarily mean the priest is a horrible priest or a horrible person right. at all. Right. But we don't have to hide anything. Right. Well, maybe what may be helpful would be like if we were trying to like pretend that the the diocese where this priest was. Uh, operating at comes to us and says, "Hey, look, we have this individual who have these struggles. He needs help, and we, we're going to remove him from active ministry so he can address this issue. Like, what will we offer to them and say? This is what we think would benefit him to help him sort of understand and overcome this issue. So it there's healing there, there's understanding, and reducing the probability that it ever happens again. So I think we're talking a lot about like yeah. what the church should do in terms yeah, yeah. of response yeah. and governance, but like from our expertise, what could we offer to the church? Like mm. this is what would help this soul, and for the family that was affected, yeah. and for the parishioners too, in terms right. of like having to navigate. Like, you know, your your father just is taken away. It's like you know, yeah, there's all this talk about parish as a family. Yeah. We're a big family. Like if something happens like that in my family, like my kids are going to know about what happened, right? You know, right. if I go away for six months. Yeah, we're They're going to know why, right? you know? Um, well, one thing that we should probably make clear, first of all, that we've already touched on several times, is that the priest probably should go away for yes. a period of time. Right? We shouldn't just right. take that for granted. Like, with that, I think just that just needs to be said, right? But going, going away for a specific purpose, and that is to get help. Right, not to be shoved somewhere else that people don't know the issue, but it's... Exactly. To, not, de- not, to deal not, with it. Not to do damage control <laughs> and hope this goes away... Or, and not even in the first instance to, to be punitive towards the priest, but but he needs to, to be removed from, this, from the situation because he's done, done harm so that healing can occur here, but he also needs healing, right? And so that needs to be taken seriously, and, and he probably, that needs to be done outside of ministry for some period of time. Mm-hmm. So in the case of, so let's, 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 let me get a sense, because I'm not sure I'm understanding, like, what's the gravity here, right? Because right. we talked about all kinds of yeah, different so, kinds so, of boundary violations. So, like, right. what are you thinking about when you're saying that? Because, because spending two minutes too long talking to a woman in right. the back of the church doesn't mean that we have to Correct. remove the priest, right? Correct, so. yeah. So the, the scenario I have in mind, based on, on Dr. Crete's um, uh, hypothetical case example, is uh, th- that this emotional uh, relationship, has grown to the point where now there has been a clear sexual boundary oh, violation. Oh, sexual boundary violation. Okay. So I'm talking about, yeah. you know, th- there's been a sexual indiscretion between a parish priest and a parishioner. Right? In that case, I think the priest always needs to go away for some period of time for treatment. And we can talk about what that might entail, that healing process. But even after that, there needs to be ongoing, you know, some kind of ongoing accompaniment and follow-up. Follow uh, to make sure that he's continuing to to um, put into place some kind of treatment plan or, or whatever to make sure that this kind of thing you know never occurs again. By the way, I have seen that happen a fair bit. Good. So yeah. I do think that does happen, Good. and I think it isn't publicized. I think it is mm-hmm. usually handled with tons of discretion. I don't see though um, 
it being named why the priest was away. Like I right. don't I don't hear the parish learning, oh, he had an affair or something like yeah, that. Because I think I think that's a, a critical point because like people are gonna want to find out who it was, right? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. that's a real critical thing yeah. right there. And they'll know right. because they'll see people together and then people start gossiping and all kinds uh-huh. of things. So I'm not actually convinced yeah. that the parish needs to know the details. Yeah. But I'm mm. on the fence. Like, I'm yeah. trying to understand, well, what needs to be communicated? Right. Because I do think it causes a lot of problems if, if you would to announce something like that. Yeah. There's... On the other hand, not saying anything just leaves it open for speculation. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. you can come up with any solution. The gossip doesn't stop. It actually gets even more so. Mm. So I think one of the things that we can do is actually serve in consulting roles. Mm-hmm. to the hierarchy on this kind of thing. Because I think these cases have to be handled not not with um, a one-size-fits-all types of solution, right? right? But, but with thoughtfulness and consideration of the psychological and human elements, you know, in addition to the spiritual elements, that that we can actually be helpful mm-hmm. on in, in some of these in some of these ways. Thinking of this as a system, you know, um, thinking of this in terms of its impact. Because a lot of times I think those kinds of considerations just don't enter into the into the calculus um, when diocesan officials are making these calls. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but I mean I've seen a lot of cases in which yeah. it doesn't look like it was handled well at all. Right. And, and in some cases, you might have the same priest um, having multiple inappropriate, um, even let's just say emotional relationships. And so you have a lot of people being very to become very dependent on that person. Mm-hmm. And then in one situation, there's a sexual violation. He's whisked away. Nobody says why. And all these people feel abandoned. That's mm-hmm. right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've also seen situations where there has been a response from the parish and diocese where a priest is removed from ministry. They're sent to a treatment facility, you know, three weeks or a month or longer. And then they're just allowed back in. And I think, and and I've seen with those cases, there's a recidivism. Like they end up acting out again in an inappropriate relationship, and so something was missing in terms of like the assessment of after the treatment program and following them. It's just like well, there is no perfect time window of how much time someone should be away. It's like mm-hmm. I don't think we're doing a good enough job mm-hmm. of assessing what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, I think know, that yeah. that kind of a a sexual boundary violation is a huge event in a priest's life. I mean, it's a major. Um, breaking of the vows that he makes. Uh, where is he in his spiritual life? Uh, what are his relationships like? Is he going to be emotionally prepared to go back into ministry right away? I think that all needs to be taken really seriously. Well, I'm sure people listening to this are probably thinking, like, hey, if there's a priest who's had any sexually boundary issue, they're like, we don't have a discussion here. Like, he should never come back. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, what would we say to them? Like, is there? Ooh, that's a really good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, those are, that was the old norm. Rather, right. that it was always exor- It was only exercised when <laughs> wanted it to be exercised, but that was technically right. right. Before before we dive in, I just wanted to say something. Uh, yeah. I was reflecting a lot about like how much disclosure a diocese might consider doing in terms of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of me feels uh, uncomfortable even going there fully without a priest or someone that's done this kind of work in a diocese. And so we're kind of looking from the outside in. And so I just want to put that, that caveat out there. Um, I think we should still talk about it, but I, I think I want to put that caveat. The other thing I would say is that um, if you're not specific enough, if you just say, hey, you know, uh, Father Joe is going to be out for three months 
he's going to get some help for X, Y, or Z. If you're not specific enough, and let's say it is depression, let's say it is a debilitating depression or, or alcohol or something like that, everybody's mind is now going to turn to he crossed some sexual mm-hmm. boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's a disservice to him, to that priest, yes. because because of the situation now, I think the general kind of mindset, and I'm sure people for us in this room too, that mindset is, oh, it's because he crossed sexual boundaries. That's unfair to him. So I think there has to be some level of clarity to, um, but, but ultimately not identify victims and stuff, because I think that sure. has to be mm-hmm. has to be first and foremost. But then uh, it, I, I don't think it's a clear-cut um, kind of decision process right now. And one thing I want to emphasize in all of this is no lying. <laughs> don't lie yeah. to the people right. about it. Right. You know, really. I mean, again, I think we need to say this yeah. clearly and loudly and distinctly. Do not misrepresent right. what is actually going on. I would rather have silence than misrepresentation, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm envisioning, even as you were talking, Dr. Martin, like bringing the priest in, how would, how, can we get your thoughts about how to handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. actually, you know, actually working with, you know, the priest, working it separately with also the, the person involved, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, to see where, where that person is, right? Like actually trying to like think about this you know, in a in a deeper way. I'm curious who's doing that. Like, who's who has that role to do it? Because that sounds wonderful. But who does that? Vicar of the clergy. Vicar, Vicar for clergy. That's that's where it would fall under in a diocese. I speak in ignorance, but my assumption is that there's too much fear in the church to do something that healthy. Because if we actually want, well, what I mean is, that's, if, a, that's, a, that's an indictment. We're going to bring in this sense. We're going to try and see how we can support both for common good. Mm-hmm. I think the fear is, if we meddle too much, we may get sued, right. mm-hmm. or we're going to have, to have like these kind of, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of let's just leave them alone. We'll give them care, whatever we can do. But you get sued when there's a deep sense of injustice. Sure, that's when you get sued. Well. But it's a duplicitous aspect of where we as the church, the body of Christ, what do we stand for? So but you're also, here's my thought on that, Vicar, though, because at least from a victim's perspective, this was a violation done by a priest, and you're going to have another priest come in and be the mediator mm-hmm. for that healing process. Mm-hmm. Right. That trust is already gone. Right. Right. And, and they're not, you know what I mean? It, and this is part of the bigger systemic problem, right. is that, and that no, now I think it's going to have to change because there's a sense in which clergy, uh, to some extent, has lost their moral authority, uh, even a sense that they can even be good pastors and good facilitators and good mediators and, and fair about it. So now we're expecting this person to come in. Right. You know, that's and, a good and, point. I mean, that's a really... It's more the sense of bringing a lady or some other kind of expert <laughs> that can be helpful in a different kind of way. Even yeah. the sense of mediation. Yeah. Maybe right. one way of saying right. it. Yeah, yeah. And I was seeing more of a team approach, not that the right. vicar for clergy was going to do this all by right. himself. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I think the victim should have an option, at least on that. Like for oh, instance, for sure. you have you have some individuals that have had these violations take place, and they're perfect. They might be more perfectly fine going to someone with a collar right. to discuss this. But others, because of what happened, there's no way mm-hmm. that they would be open to that. So you want to have options available to them. Mm-hmm. You don't want to re-victimize the victim by right. trying to yes. do something right. which is well, yeah, unfortunately that right. sometimes mm-hmm. happens when mm-hmm. you have a vulnerable adult who comes forward 
and they're treated coldly, um, maybe <clears throat> disbelieved, or just not handled very sensitively at all, uh, often by a person with a collar. It's just it's just yeah. another There's trauma. There's still a lot of yeah. still a lot of the attitude of why didn't you just say no? Like yeah, what, yeah, you yeah, you yeah. were in this yeah. too, right. you know, right. and not recognizing those right. power differentials that exactly. are extremely powerful, mm -hmm. right? Or just you know, sort of re resenting this person coming forward because now this is a problem I have to deal with, right? Right, um, and, and obviously that does a huge disservice and rewounds the you know the the victim. I do think there are many good therapists and counselors and so on that actually would fit mm -hmm. that. Sure. Which could mm -hmm. potentially fit that role yeah. uh, to be that mediator person between yeah. you know the people that have been harmed, the priests themselves, help the church and help with that process. Yeah. But I wonder, even as far as you know, kind of back to the other point <coughs> that some of you discussed, there is kind of this mentality among the laity of where the kidnapper van comes and the priest is taken away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Father didn't have morning mass today. He always did daily mass, <laughs> and then it's Tuesday and Wednesday. <clears throat> Suddenly, you know, it's gone on for weeks. And then all of a sudden, somebody sees him at Kroger. He kind of like, you know, reemerges back into society. And it's kind of where whether he's reassigned or not, there isn't this sense. What I wonder is a couple things. Certainly, laid in how that affects him, how much they need to know or not. We kind of touched on that. But I wonder is the priest is almost having this sense of reentry? What is the level of care that he's receiving? Is it, you know, he's gone to the inpatient facility and said that, you know, you know, stamp him, he's yeah. good enough to go. Mm -hmm. But if even if that is true, who's making that decision of trusting that as being true? But how do we help even provide for that care to continue it when they come back, before they even reenter ministry, once they're kind of back in whatever respective diocese or community? So it's not just, you know, well, right. we know we've gone through this and they seem to have grown. Maybe they need to kind of slow ease into it, because we're not even considering the priest standpoint. You know, Father Melanoski's been gone for six months, <laughs> and all of a sudden he's saying, Mass, we're, are you okay? We're really praying for you. You know, and then they, they get frightened. It's all awkward. Well, and I think it's really more the sense of fear, if I can attach to standpoint. Like you said, dad is suddenly gone. Now he's back. Is it okay? Is it safe? Or, you know, really, what do I trust? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I knew a situation, and this is not any client of mine, and it's somewhere far away, <laughs> <laughs> of a priest who actually um, embezzled funds because he had a gambling addiction. And he was beloved, very charismatic priest. And uh, and he went into recovery. He went to jail, uh -huh. I believe. He went into recovery, and he reentered, and was very open about what he had done and how um, and the change that he had had and everything. He was well received, mm -hmm. actually, back from my understanding. Um, if I'm wrong on any details of that particular case, I'm sorry. But it was to me. I remember thinking, "Wow, that was powerful." And yet on. But we don't do that with sexual sins, right? Because that's too much of a stigma, mm. right? There might be other issues. Alcoholism True. probably not either. But that was, I think, some. That's the other one they think of. It's a sexual indiscretion, or he's being sent mm -hmm. to guest house or somewhere for alcohol treatment, and mm. and and that's just the assumption. Huh, right? Could he come back and say, "Hey, yeah, I was on treatment because I had this problem," and personally, I feel like we were talking about heroes last time. I feel like that's a heroic thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For and, and you know and, and, and for the priest to actually say, hey, I'm human too, I had a problem. Hey, the diocese actually supported me to get treatment and help, and I got that. I've, these are the ways I've been growing and changing, and I'm back. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm sorry. Still getting, and I'm and still I'm so, getting. And, I'm and still I have getting, ongoing right, care. Right. I have a continued care plan, and I'm seeing a therapist, and right. I'm working right. with a group of priests that are also supporting me, and and I'm doing all right. 
And and most, I, I think any priest that's listening is going, oh, that sounds like terror, right? Mm-hmm. To do that. But wow, that's that family. That's where mm-hmm. we're actually, the church is that, you know, field ambulance <clears throat> or whatever. That The yeah. church is a place of healing. It's being penitent too. And honest and penitent. Yeah. And he's modeling right. in that case right. mm-hmm. for his people who yeah. are probably going to say, hey, let's be more real <laughs> about our problems. Right, because there's like, you know, tons of families that he's going to minister to you have like broken marriages, right? And so it's a good model for them to like, even despite those horrible wounds that there can be healing and actually a better relationship after the wound if both parties are obviously using their free will and love of one yeah. another. And that's a good modeling of the, the priest being able to do that in his own life. Yeah. I, I, I like, no, I like that on many levels. Um, so the first one is, um, you know, if, if I have some issues that require immediate attention and maybe sending me away or something, I'm probably going to disclose them a little differently to my four-year-old than my 20-year-old. Right. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with this stuff in a parish, you think about a priest as a father, so so spiritual father to the to the uh, to their parishioners. It seems like since you're dealing with adults, you probably should give more specificity because people are going to be concerned. I mean, it just seems like they, in some ways, deserve that, right? So that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I I'm thinking of a bishop who had to leave uh, for getting some treatment. Mm-hmm. And was very specific about what it was that he was getting treated for. So it, 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 I, I thought it was wonderful on many levels. Number one, because um, that way it clarified what he wasn't getting treated for, mm-hmm. right? Which people, again, their minds go specifically to sex or addiction. Uh, but the other thing it did is it, it provided a role model to the individuals mm-hmm. that in that parish that probably could use some treatment too, but maybe were hesitant to do it. Mm-hmm. But now because their mm-hmm. shepherd, their leader, their father figure mm-hmm. was doing it. Maybe that opened some doors for them and allowed them right. to, to go past that resistance to it. And I thought it was beautiful. And, and mm-hmm. hopefully when, when the bishop or if the bishop returns, he'll be very clear about what he did and how he improved. And that will also be a mm-hmm. great example to, mm-hmm. to the diocese. Problem I is, like that better than the diocese issuing a statement yeah. about <clears throat> his problem. The problem is that it takes a lot of strength yes. on, on the bishop's part or on the priest's part to be able to be open like that and to to humbly, you know, share what he's struggling with right. without a ton of shame flooding in. Um, I think that's ideal, and I really admire it when mm-hmm. people do that, but not every priest has that inside of them. I, right. I wonder if they should be encouraged, though, by their spiritual director or their superior whomever <clears throat> to be challenged because, I mean, yeah. that's really a humble heart, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's a deeper love. Yeah. Not only love, you know, of parish or community, but also mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the issues that we've kind of touched on a little bit is is the is the need for ongoing follow up and and care after a priest has gone away. You know, there's sort of the acute phase, but there, there's got to be ongoing accompaniment, and that includes mental health services. But but the diocese needs to be involved with that, whether that's the vicar of clergy or somebody else. Like they need to be <coughs> following. You know, and meeting regularly to know, like, how's it going? Are you going to therapy? You know, any mm-hmm. issues? Like, ongoing mentoring, not just in a policing way, but, but like, more like fatherly accompaniment. And I don't think that's done hardly anywhere. <clears throat> uh, and that's, that's, to me, that's a kind of a big hole. 
that needs to be and, uh, filled. And I think it needs to be preventative, not just yes. a response. Yes, and agreed. It's widespread, because there isn't a person, or maybe there's one or two, I don't know, but there isn't a person who's not capable of yeah. making a really bad mistake agreed. under right. certain circumstances. Agreed. In this room included. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. that half over there. <laughs> <laughs> Which, is it more leaning towards this way? It's just the couch. It's just that's people. Okay. Yeah. No, but, but it's absolutely a science it's seating. great point, Jerry. I agree completely. <coughs> Yeah. yeah, I have seen and heard of some of that where, you know, priests will kind of come back and begin working with therapists. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's excellent because that's really a deeper level of care mm -hmm. the bishop's trying to provide. Um, having worked with different kinds of priests in different situations, some of what's tough about that, though, is also the fear as far as, you know, seeking voluntarily or are they just required to come? It's kind of like almost, yeah. where I, you know, and I say this to people in general, whenever like they're referred by a spiritual director or parents or whomever, are you here on your own accord? Are you just, am I like your probation officer? Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're really, it's not being obedient, you're just being compliant. Right. Is your heart really in this, in the sense there's some good that can actually occur here? And, mm -hmm. some and I think we have the responsibility there. Because even if that is their mindset, right? Okay, mm -hmm. I'm being required to go to counseling or something. It's our job to then create a rapport Build, try. I mean, we can't. We're not fully sure. responsible. It's a yeah. two-way thing. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it is. We have to take the responsibility to say no. We have to create an environment of safety and rapport, and and to invite them into something new. Right. Mm -hmm. Ideally, if they're coming <clears> back from a treatment center, one would like to believe that process yeah. has already begun. Right. Right. Yeah. Because right. a lot of times, be. yeah. Because a lot of times, they they really don't understand what therapy is like. Mm -hmm. yes. They don't really mm -hmm. understand like what would actually happen. They've got mm -hmm. misconceptions right. about it that yeah. make it more threatening. Well, part of our responsibility is being assessed, like if we're the ones treating, is giving an assessment and feedback to the diocese of where that person's at in terms of their understanding of the issue, their acceptance of it, and their willingness to uh, to make changes. Because you know, there's some that are kind of like, well, you know, they realize what they did was viewed as wrong or is wrong, and they they'll have a commitment to try and you know avoid that behavior. But you're not really sensing it, you know, that they're really like getting the gravity of it and how this is actually not only impactful for the victims, but for their own souls moving forward. Right. Um, and, and I think we have a responsibility as best we can to assess like where they're at, acceptance, willingness to change, and uh, the gravity of that. Yeah. yeah. yeah we, we see him, we see people in very different situations. Like a, a guy gets caught in an affair, stops the affair, and can we, this all just go away now? Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> rather than looking for improving the situation, improves marriage, and, and yeah. rebuild the yeah, trust. Understanding what led to this, yes. right, and how, yes. do, how do I need to change, or how does my life need to change to make sure that I don't fall in that way again. Yeah. So I've been in that probation officer therapy before, yeah. and yeah. It's, it's a frustrating process. It is. With yeah. It's, yeah, you can have some... But to be fair, I do get that, uh, obviously, a priest, it's a certain, it's a different role, right, office and, and everything and responsibility. But we, if a guy has an affair, like one affair. We're not talking about a guy maybe who's chronically, but we don't send him away to nine months or six months of treatment. No, we just don't. Yeah. And yet we work on the marriage, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, and, and maybe the marriage won't work for whatever reason. But but you know, but, yeah. but we do try to work on the marriage typically. But I, I I do think I do think that you know primary intervention or preventative approach. What they say, an ounce in prevention is like worth a pound of whatever sure. later on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or dollar versus a hundred. I don't know where it's at. And maybe in the church, it might be a dollar versus uh, <laughs> a, a million. You know, if you think yes. about kind of, I, I just read there's there's twenty dioceses now in the United States that have filed for bankruptcy, primarily yeah. related to this issue. Mm. So. 
uh, from a dollar standpoint or just from a human standpoint. I, I think I think the church spends a lot of time, to their credit, spends a lot of time on spiritual formation uh, after, let's say, they've, they've been ordained and, you know, say they have a spiritual director or something they can turn to. I think that ongoing human formation is going to be essential for prevention. And, and this is where, not to beat a, a beat a drum, but uh, I do think there needs to be the accompaniment model. I, th- I would like to see it more in a formal, formally supported approach where actually they do meet with individuals that focus on the human formation, not, not necessarily to the exclusion of spiritual, but a lot of times I find spiritual direction can turn into kind of a low-level psychology, un- unfortunately, right. because they've got they all these other issues. <laughs> right. That's what they, they need. need. That's what they need. It would be nice if they could have something set up formally in the structure before they leave with an individual, maybe in their diocese or whatever that the diocese respects and can be supportive that does provide the human formation so that when they get to spiritual direction or formation, now we're talking about transcendent things. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about low-level psychology and right. I don't know what I'm doing. But to be able to form, but to be able to form, you know, the, these priests that are already in the diocese that are established on how to address those natural level things at a better level, yes. and it's a very intimate relationship where you can be real, where you can be, where you can feel safe enough to disclose, where you can you can open up about those dark areas of life that they're not comfortable opening about, and then they start maybe they spiritualize it too much because that's what they know. We've got to get to. We, I think I we're like at a that. point. Yeah, we're if at you a don't point. mind me adding. It's something I mean, you and also uh, Dr. Sodergan said too. So I mean, priests are strongly encouraged, you know, to have a spiritual director and, and typically meet with their director once a month. I, I like <laughs> the idea of you know maybe a lay couple or someone in the community who you would have to have some sense of vetting process of accompaniment. I mean, are they healthy enough to be able to right. hand, handle this? Right. Kind of jokingly, knowing how the sausage is made, I mean, it's tough. We're privy to Boy, things yeah. which are really hard, right? I would argue, though, that if <clears throat> we're going to encourage the spiritual development, why not require, in the sense of health, that priests go to therapy at least once a month? Yeah. <clears throat> See, I had a similar idea, John, and that was um, the idea of, well, typically they're encouraged to have a yearly physical, why not a yearly psychological as well, Mm -hmm. where they're coming in, we wouldn't do a whole battery, but do a clinical interview, maybe a couple symptom checklists, and at least check in on them. And then as we do that over time, you know, you can hopefully be able to to flag some things if the guy's starting to go downhill. Uh, And at least they've already got a relationship, you know, if there are issues that come up and gives us a chance to make recommendations. Well, and and I think within that, we'd have to have it and being respectful of the priests, that we're not, is kind of just an extension of the bishop's will. Right. (laughs) So we're not basically here to, like, be a narc and tell on you. This would have to be a private relationship, right? I mean, confidentiality, same as we provide anyone, with certain kinds of exceptions, right? You know, some of the specific boundary violations we talked about. But the sense of where, like, the work that I do with seminarians, and I kind of say this, you know, jokingly, but seriously, you know, see me now, see me later, you'll come see me. <laughs> but, I mean, the point that I try and impress upon them is there, there's nobody in the room who can't benefit from right. growing. Right. So, I mean, you can let yeah. your pride get in the way yeah. and say that I am perfectly psychologically healthy <clears throat> and I have nothing I can do to improve or to grow. It's right. just kind of laughable. Yeah. Some of this lands on us too, though, because there are plenty in our field awful. that have done things <laughs> yeah. that have led to suspicion oh. by members in the church. Oh, yeah. you know? I mean, so so it's understandable that there might be a jaundiced eye 
you know, looked yeah. at us. But mm -hmm. that's part of what we're trying to do with the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. That's part of what we're trying to do with Souls and Hearts. That's part of what we're trying to do, you know, with even this show is, you know, to like actually participate in the professional formation and the human formation of enough therapists to be able to help with this. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's a very particular therapist who a priest could go to and really trust and really be helped by. Yes. And I think that priests are right to be skeptical of mm -hmm. you know, your average counselor. Like, I agree. it would be really hard for a priest to just go to anybody. I'm skeptical of an average counselor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, a, lot, a lot of counselors are, are uh, hesitant to work with clergy. Sure. I think, I think we're real squeamish because there's a sense of like, I mean, every soul is equal, but mm -hmm. it's like, wow, the gravity of like, I'm working with Father, and yeah. I need to help him, and if yeah. I don't, then I'm going to feel the sense mm. of guilt. Yes. You know, I haven't helped him in his life, and the souls, you know, or potential future victims, and like, and some people just didn't want to get near it. So Especially early in their career. Right. You know, so we have to be courageous to be able to I've get supervision. That. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I remember the first couple times I saw priests and clergy, or priests in therapy, uh, I was not my normal self. I was much more uh, nervous and kind of trying to overthink things and um, it's difficult to, to really get the therapy going. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think a lot of that was, was, was really my issue. Of I had to get over the fact that this is a priest and learn to see them just as another fallen human being who needs psychological care. And I think we need to appreciate that the chanceries, the diocesan personnel have often run across therapists that have like not been effective you know, in the work, mm -hmm. have fleeced them financially, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. you know, have, you know, caused all kinds of problems, you know, in various ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think we also need to, to, to be mindful of that when we're engaged in that. And I think it, we also have to be really clear about who the client is, especially right. when we're mm -hmm. working with priests, right? Because if the client is the priest, that's very different than if the client is the diocese, mm -hmm. you know, because then you've got entirely different, you've got entirely different sets of responsibilities, Right, and I think a lot of times we have to be really clear about what we're doing, so that the diocese doesn't just believe that if we're doing individual therapy with the priest, that they just have access to all of that, because right. <laughs> they don't, That's even right. if they're paying for it. Yes, and I've experienced that with religious <clears throat> orders too, right? mm -hmm. where they maybe have uh, someone in formation or somebody like that that they want to to come uh, and do therapy, but then they also essentially want to have an evaluation of his progress and this and this and this, and it's like we got to clarify roles here. Right. You know, am I really here to do therapy, or am I here to to um, evaluate? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I've seen both ways. I have seen religious order wanting too much information and needing pushback, and other religious orders who are much more um, gracious. And I, mm -hmm. if, you, yes. if you've earned their trust, mm -hmm. I want to go back to one thing. If we have time, um, a couple minutes. Okay, and that is uh, one thing that we haven't, I think, addressed enough is is what should be done for the victim in one of these uh, yeah. situations. I was just thinking the exact yeah. same thing because yeah. we got it, and, and and that may be is that another show? You're well, the host. I think <laughs> say something. I have seen situations where the victims were given counseling, mm -hmm. were given support, and this kind of thing. So I do think. Some good things do happen. Mm -hmm. I think maybe there's been some change. Like if it's an adult victim, yeah, we're talking about. Um, but it's a tricky one, and mm -hmm. especially like let's say in that case study that we were using before, mm -hmm. let's say the woman worked for the for the church in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden you've yeah. got a possible <coughs> sexual harassment case. Right. That, that could be a whole other you know right, right. That. But but it creates <laughs> mm -hmm. those kind of things do happen commonly enough, and so uh, unfortunately. <laughs> 
And, and so it creates a whole other level of we have to have distance from you legally and yeah. all this kind of thing. Yeah. But it seems to me that one of the first and foremost considerations is providing safety and, and support for the victim. That includes, you know, who you know, who's available to hear their story, the mediation that mm -hmm. we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, making sure they have good care, supporting them in, in uh, any way that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. I just think that's really vital and, and needs to be emphasized. Because that person, in that case, could get vilified by the community. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And often, would. Yeah. often would, yeah. often do. Mm -hmm. And some mm -hmm. of them are terrified of that, you know? Like, yeah. Because, yeah, because the idealized priest, often very charismatic, is lost, right? You've taken away our priest. You uh -huh. seduced him. It's, it's, real, it's seduced yeah. him. Yeah, there's a lot of accusations along with that. Mm -hmm. Because, again, the the priest is more important to that parishioner that's idealizing the priest than the, than the, than the victim mm -hmm. who can be perceived as just disposable. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? I, I will say I see a lot of younger priests that are open to therapy. They don't have major mm -hmm. issues, like not big, giant issues. Yeah. And, but they're open to therapy exactly for what you guys were saying about growth. Yeah. Yes. Right? I've experienced like just, that too. They just now, <clears throat> that's just part of the norm. Yeah. And I think our society is starting to see that counseling and therapy can be a, a normative yeah. thing. And I'll say one last thing is group counseling and some process. So that's kind of what we've done. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? Just, you know, and without having to. <laughs> and because we realize we're better off if we support each other, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that would be a great culture shift yes. if priests yeah. could do the same. I sure. would love to see a, a robust system of priest <coughs> support groups. Yeah. I think that yeah. would be a really mm -hmm. uh, a great strength for them, a resource for them. That is something that I recommend all the time for therapists is that we be in our own therapy, that we be really focused on our own human formation. And, and for that sounds like another topic. For another <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe. Well, we did that topic already in oh. some ways, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah number three. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we can do it. Doesn't that was self-care. You can recycle yeah. time. Yeah, it's right. a little, little bit more <coughs> involved in terms of... In terms know. of therapy? Well, <coughs> we can do that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you think so? Therapists and therapy. Therapists and therapy. And, and I will say, just to kind of the model, right? I know we're kind of crunched against time here. Time is our enemy. But uh, I, know, I know of religious orders that are using the accompaniment model early on. Like they're literally, this is not just for marriage preparation, <clears throat> where they do the accompaniment and they find a mentor couple that's five years married and they've been in the trenches and they're active in their parish and that kind of helps to figure out who's a good mentor couple. But they're using this for, for, for people that are, that are novices in their religious order. And so they're getting that human formation. They're getting that kind of intimacy and, let's say, attachment needs met and so forth. And so when they go to spiritual direction, what they are getting is a more robust spiritual direction as opposed to human formation issue. <clears throat> and um, I, I, I do think that's – and there are, there are uh, seminaries now that do have growth counseling – and so you'll go to like a group, a support group, or you'll go for individual counseling. It's growth counseling. Um, but if you get diagnosed with something, then you're sent to a clinic and you're actually working with an individual therapist. So there are models out there right now, which I would highly recommend. And I think um, those are kind of, you know, I don't know if I'd say flagship, but, but they are uh, in some ways beacons out there that can provide some support that these guys need and women need in their formation. Good point. Thank you. And thank you all. Thank you all. Okay. All right, till next time. Be still. Believe. Be, Be loved. loved. Take good care. <laughs>